Guardadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Welcome to Dad Without Borders, and this week I enjoy a candid conversation with Nelson, and there's a little swearing in there as well, so just be wary of any kids in the background for some of this. Um, But it's a really great conversation about a skateboarding dad, or an ex-skateboarding dad, who is now a punk rocker, and was once, I think it's fair to say, the black sheep of the family. And we talk about being raised by fairly strict old school British parents and the impacts that's had on him uh, with his parenting style. There's lots of good stuff in here. Um, Working in youth services, Nelson has, and also having raised teenagers, Nelson has some great tips on how to communicate effectively with teenagers. As well as the conversation with Nelson, at the end, part two, is a conversation with clinical social worker Catherine Williams and we talk about relationships and how they impact the children. So as ever, please enjoy. Oh, there you go. That's what Oh, (laughs) ta-da! Sorry, man. No, it's good because every minute I'm in this room, I'm losing a pound. (laughs) It's so hot in this room. It's a bit sweaty, yeah. 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 We're in a new... um... At our new place, we're in, uh, like, we're at the very top of Mountain Station. Yeah. So we're in, we're actually in a, a different climate. Like, it's cooler up here. Is it? Yeah. Oh, Which nice. is good, because it was hot as fuck today. Yeah, I've got, I'm in a blacked out room. So I've got blackout curtains. So yeah. that's why it's kind of dark. It's good. I can't complain, though. I mean, the lake is down the road. It's all good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I'm getting thinner. I am getting thinner by the minute. <laughs> um, well hey nelson thanks for joining me on the podcast today man thanks for inviting me excited to uh, be here cool i'm mean, yeah i'm really excited to have this conversation uh knowing a little bit about your background so let me do a quick intro and let's see how much i get right so you're an ex-skateboarder um musician punk rock musician um mm-hmm. what's what's the name of your band the addits the uh, the addits addits yeah at it you have a fugazi tattoo which i just want to explain to the listeners that may not know because i've never mentioned it but in the intro the the intro music is from the waiting room which is a song by fugazi one of my favorite songs and uh so it's nice to have someone on the show uh that has the appreciation of the same music uh and i will say too for anyone that knows fugazi knows of this band i asked permission to use the music uh i did send them an email and i was really excited that they they were willing to let me use it so yeah so that's great so glad to have a fan on the show super cool yeah Yeah. definitely yeah it was a good sign i felt like i was on the right track with this podcast when a band like that's (laughs) gonna say yeah use our music um you ride motorbikes 
Your yep. wife is a master baker. And shout yep. out to Cake Betty. If you're in the Nelson area, Cake Betty, find her on Instagram. Um, and your wife and daughter, they ride dirt bikes with you, which I think is super cool. My uh, stepdaughter, yeah. Your stepdaughter, right? Yeah. Um, you're in your second marriage, stepfather yep. and a daddy in one form or other to two girls. Is that right? Uh, so um, my I have two stepdaughters, Chuinli, Chewy for short. She's 13. She lives yep. with us. Then uh, Samara is 22. She lives in Penticton. And then my son, Destin, is 20, and he lives in Montreal. Gotcha. Okay. Recently. So three, three kids. So one yep. biological in Montreal and the other two. Well, one living with you guys, and then the other yep. is not far down the road. It's a bit yeah. of a stretch, but yeah, not too far away. And anything else? That kind of sums it up, eh? I think I got the main piece. Uh, of yeah. Uh, I in mean, a nutshell? In a nutshell, I've definitely been um, thinking about what to talk about uh today is actually the three-month anniversary of the death of my own father so um i think you know fatherhood and all its angles and avenues have has been on my mind for months obviously yeah um, since he passed so uh it's very fortuitous that we're speaking today yeah and just after father's day belated father's day yeah which was just on sunday a couple days ago yeah um yeah no, that's a big one to have the first Father's Day without your dad as well, eh? It, yeah, it definitely it weighed it weighed heavily upon me. I mean, I, I had a great day and uh, went out for a fantastic dinner. Sorry, we got dogs here. Um, um, but yeah, it, it was you know it's um it's unfamiliar territory to be on be at Father's Day and not call my dad. Cause he's right. just not around. This yeah, is the yeah. first time. So yeah, I was, uh, I was definitely thinking about it. Yeah, no doubt. And also you were, I'm really interested because I've done a lot of youth work over the years and I know you work in for want of a better term, youth services. So in a nutshell, yeah. what do you do there? Um, so, uh, my principal job is a youth outreach counselor for our programs. Uh, they're based out of Kelowna and they have a small um, Kootenai office in Castlegar. So yeah, I've been doing that for over three years now and I'm actually um, transitioning into youth uh, parenting mediation. So I'll be starting that at the end of July. That's um, sort of the intermediary between uh, a teen and parents with conflict and I also sub in at Anchors for the um, Mental Health and Addictions Clinic on Fridays. Yeah. Very cool. Super interesting work. And something I would imagine being a dad kind of helps lean into that work. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, being a male in the sort of social services sector, is a rarity and uh all the kids on my caseload now are male young males and all of them have conflict or um unresolved relationships with their father either the fathers are absent or absent having been abusive previously um yeah so it's yeah it's no coincidence you know 
Yeah, my totally. code is what it is. Yeah, yeah. So going way back to before you became a dad, like when you're an expectant dad, can you remember becoming a dad? Can you remember that moment? You know, you had a pregnant partner and you're about to become a dad. Oh, absolutely. Kind of yeah. Into that. Uh, that's something something I'll never forget for sure. Um, uh, I had met this great woman and then her roommates were kind of jerks. And so were mine. And we're like, why don't we just move in together? And, um, you know, this would be in my, uh, mid to late twenties. And about two months after we moved in together, I got the call to go up to tree planting camp north of, uh, Prince George for three months. So I was gone. And then I came back and we got pregnant. And um, yeah, and we were together until my son Destin was about three, three and a half. And then we split. Right. Mm -hmm. So did you like at that point, you're young, like it seemed like these days, that's young. I feel like mid to late 20s. Like, were you ready for and prepared for fatherhood? Oh, absolutely not. No, I was, you know, fucking terrified completely. I put on a brave face for my partner because she was, of course, the same as me. That's why we got along so well. And, um, you know, we're, now we're going to have a baby. It was like it was um, terrifying, frankly, terrifying. Yeah. But um, I just put on a brave face. I guess that's like part of my British heritage. And like everything's going to be fine, honey. And we just like kind of, you know, waded into it. The stiff, the British stiff upper lip. Exactly. Like, what do you think? What was the fear for you back then? Because I know for me, it was just that weight of responsibility. Uh, yeah, definitely that. I mean, um, before that, I just had the freedom to do whatever I wanted, you know. And now, um, now there was going to be this being in the world that I was responsible for. Um, I guess, you know, obviously some men don't take that seriously, but I took it really seriously from the get-go and um, yeah, and, and have, and continue to do so. And it's yeah. been, you know, very rewarding. Like I still, I can still revisit that emotion when my son was born. Um, we had a home birth there in Weimar and it was um, yeah, it was magical. Like the joy I felt when I held my son for my first time will always be um, something I cherish and remember forever until the yeah. end of my days. It was just such a powerful, uh, powerful event, emotion. Um, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, totally. It's um, yeah. It's interesting that you have a British heritage as well. So I wonder how much of a role model was your dad and in general, your childhood in terms of preparing you for being a dad and having that sense of responsibility and wanting to show up. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, British people are typically um, emotionally distant. They're not a very warm folk to generalize. Of course, my mom was, she was very affectionate, but my dad, like his father before him was not. Um, and then um, my parents split up when I was 
about 17. But I, you know, by then I was a teenager and I knew they were going to split up and, you know, the split was very bad and very messy. And I was, I had, um, you know, I had the intellect and opinion by then to see that both of them were doing a very bad job about getting divorced. And um, unfortunately that put a wedge between my, my father and I, you know, permanently, I don't think it was ever really resolved. Um, I moved to Vancouver and um, he uh, met or well, he reconvened with his second wife, which is a whole other story, but they moved to uh, first Toronto and then South Carolina. So basically we were on um, opposite coasts of the continent. And yeah, I think it definitely, there, there was a split that was never healed. You know, it was a rift that was never healed for sure. Huh. So sorry, how old were you when you, when they split up? I was about uh, 17. 17 18 yeah um i was going to i went to high school in um ontario and uh they had um um ontario academic credits and i was the first year of that so i actually finished school early so i was in college when i was 18 like right away because i just couldn't wait to get out of the house (laughs) yeah yeah, which is not untypical as, as well at that age. Like I can, I definitely felt that as well. I was ready to get out. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the sort of um, um, the catalyst for that was the um, destruction, yeah, implosion of my parents' marriage, which affected. I mean, you know, uh, my relationship with my parents was fine. Now, of course, as I approach middle age, I I have a lot. Uh, I have a more rounded perspective, but when you're 17 and 18 and angry at the world already, and then this happens, yeah, it definitely affected my relationship with both parents. And uh, I mean, they didn't really see me for the next five years. I never came home. Yeah. Pretty close to you becoming a dad yourself. Yeah. We sort of healed that relationship with both my mom and my dad. And then, um, yeah, a few years later, um, yeah, I was a dad and I, uh, it always makes me laugh and I tease my mom about it because I, uh, you know, I was like this tree planting, skateboarding, punk rocker, traveling around, uh, North America, partying hard, like just a free, free spirit, you know? And then I can definitely see it now from my mom's perspective. Like all of a sudden I called her and I, and it's really funny. I said, uh, mom, I got some big news. And she's like, oh, oh, yes, Jamie. Uh, what is it? And I said, well, mom, you're going to be a grandmother. And she was like, oh, uh, um, I'll have to call you back and hung up on me. <laughs> Too much. And so my partner at the time, Michelle, was like, oh, that didn't really go really well. And I'm like, I think my mom needs a minute to like, kind of process it. And Two hours later, she called back and said, okay, Jamie, I've had most of a bottle of wine and I'm ready to talk about this now. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, again, with like my age now, I understand like that's a transition for them as well. Yeah. You were, you were, you are a parent, but now you become a grandparent. And um, 
at this stage of my life now, that's where I'm at too. That's going to happen in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Like, did you, could you go to them to get advice about? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, they were supportive. I mean, my dad, not really. Um, I don't know if I really asked for a lot of advice from them, but I know with the perspective of time, of course, that my parenting style definitely comes from them. So I was, you know, very, um, tough on my son, like strict, I would say. My sister would say that I was more strict on my son than our parents were on us. Oh, interesting. But at the same time, I think, you know, my son Destin has grown up to be like an excellent, excellent young man. So I regret nothing. (laughs) There you you go. So what does strict look like for you then? I would just say like um, strict, like you have to pull your weight in the house and do chores. And I mean, that that translates now to Chewy. Chewy's 13. Um, um, I've been with her mom now for eight years. So it's the same with her. I'm very strict. Like you have to do your chores when you have to do your chores and there's a routine and, you know, bedtime's at nine or whatever. So um, I think I've carried on those parenting styles or traditions from them. And I, mm, I'm hesitant to say that like, like that's a bad tack for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I relate in a couple <laughs> of ways because I feel like you, I kind of went traveling. I did lots of different jobs, lived the lifestyle, the kind of dream of like seasonal work, being mm-hmm. ski bum in the winter, live in the back totally. of a van and climb. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. And then res- really resisting and running from that kind of conservative small C sort of like upbringing Mm -hmm. where I just didn't want to like worry about a mortgage, worry about um, getting a nine to five job and worrying about earning and saving money for my retirement or anything like that. I, you can definitely like um, I can distinctly remember saying when I became a dad that I was going to be a different dad than my father was. And I definitely am, but that's, um, you know, again, with the passage of time, I realize he's modeling what his father did and his father before him, which was very traditional British style, pretty cold, not a lot of like physical touch, like, well, um, did your grandfather, was he in the war? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. the same with mine. And I've been thinking about that a lot more recently, actually, the, that kind of generational trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, they went through it. Can you Definitely. imagine like we've been through COVID, which is a lot. Yeah. yeah. But the war that's hot to me. That's an all other level where you have relatives and friends and you know, people in the community that are being mm-hmm. shipped off and they never come back again. And those mm-hmm. that do have seen, you know, we can't even imagine what they went through. So yeah. I can't, yeah, that has to trickle down. Def- yeah, for sure. I mean, there's that, um, I guess you would call it like a, historical parenting patterns and I don't you know as progressive as I am for my career and um, new ideologies and stuff I, I there's still some sort of foundational parts of parenting that I don't think will ever change and I, I I'm fine with that you know yeah I know I, I agree I think it works I think routine works I think you know boundaries are really good 
understanding mm-hmm. chores at an early age and you know yes. having to contribute to the family and be a part of the yeah, value of work yeah yeah totally i think yeah. it's really important yeah i i mean i i was um i think i was like pretty harsh and judgmental on my dad in my younger angrier days but now that i've um you know reached i will i'll be 50 this year so my dad was like 40 when he broke up with my mom. So having passed that milestone and I'm like understanding more about him. And I would say like, um, since his death, I've understood more about him as a person and his influence on me, but also like, you know, I guess it's, it, uh, I've softened my stance on the way he parented me. Although there's still, a few questions where I'm like, Hmm, why did that happen? And I, you know, my mom doesn't remember, but I certainly do stuff like, uh, you know, for my 12th birthday, I went to go see the Toronto Maple Leafs at Maple Leaf gardens, Daryl Sittler. And it was my mom and her friend that took me, not my dad. And, uh, you know, traditionally I would say, well, that's the kind of thing that you do with your dad, right? You go to see the Toronto Maple Leafs but I didn't and I probably never will know why, but <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like you can you managed to create a good relationship. If you were talking to him every father's day, for example, mm-hmm. just even being mindful and taking that effort to do that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, Meadow and I are um, looking to buy our first home now, like you, I didn't care about this before, but now I do. So getting into it late in life and um you know realizing that my uh, mom and dad chose to uh buy a small like hobby farm in southern ontario that was an hour away from my dad's work so he was commuting for two hours every day for 25 years to make that happen so we could have a sort of country lifestyle and him as well of course which he enjoyed but you know, now that we're going to buy a house, we're like, oh, I don't know. Winlaw, it's pretty far, you know, and it's like, oh, Proctor, like, you know, 50 minutes away from Nelson. That's too far. But, you know, my dad did that for 25 years, like two hours of driving to make that happen. So, yeah, that just kind of, you know, I, uh, I appreciate his sacrifices that he made. And I'm sort of understanding more about his contributions to, uh, the family dynamic and, and history. So what do you think? So what for you have been the biggest challenges as a parent then just in general terms? Cause I know you're a stepdad and a, you know, obviously a dad to your son in Montreal as well. Yeah. Um, well, um, after Desmond and mom and I broke up, then, um, there was definitely like two years or so. Um, I was in music school and, I was kind of lost in the wilderness because um, so much of my identity was wrapped up in that relationship. Like it, like it happens when you're with somebody and like now you're sort of in a common law relationship and you have a kid and you bought a house in Weimar. And so like, that's your reality. And then all of a sudden that's not your reality. So it took me, uh, took me a while to sort of um, rediscover my identity because of course having a child like you're forever changed after that you're no longer like single guy 
partying and skateboarding and playing in rock bands, you're uh, now you're a dad, like you have a new role. So yeah, after a few years, I actually like, I was lucky because um, Destin's mom stayed here in Nelson. And uh, so there wasn't any of that long distance thing. And um, we were able to sort of move past um, our own personal emotions and always put Destin first. So we never went to court, um, no lawyers involved, and we just had sort of co-custody of him. So um, he would come to my house for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then go to school and go to her house on Monday afternoon. So we split the week that way. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome because that's, yeah. that's another similarity because, yeah, I also have my first kid in Weimar. Yeah, um, me and mom also broke up there. Uh, and f- to be honest, for the first two years, we were co-parenting successfully. Mm-hmm. We weren't really particularly getting on because it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard breaking up. But yeah, the whole identity thing, too, is huge. Like that was a massive shift for me because suddenly yeah. I felt like I had to be my dad. Mm-hmm. I really felt that like I had to be my dad. I had to do what he'd done. I had to find a good job. I had to start earning and saving money and providing. Mm-hmm. And it was all on me. That identity shift when you go from that to not being together, I felt a bit of shame with that because mm-hmm. my, my parents had stayed together. So yeah. I suddenly was like, who am I? Am mm-hmm. I a single dad? I never saw that coming. I have no point of reference for being a single dad. Yeah, and that was same. really hard. And I didn't know yeah. any other people with, with kids. Not really. Yeah, I I was lucky. I had um, friends with kids since I was um, early 20s. So I had lots of exposure to kids and I kind of knew what it was about, even though it wasn't mine. Um, Eventually, I sort of grew into um, to realize that it was kind of great because I was still a dad and always will be. But at the same time, now I was like single guy and like playing in rock bands and like having a really good time. So I managed um, I managed to balance sort of not balance, but, you know, both of those uh, roles acted simultaneously together. And it was great. And um, I think Destin, because I'm a musician and had lots of like eccentric creative types sort of that he would meet and interact with and stuff. I think that really helped him find and accept his own creativity eventually because, oh, yeah. you know, he saw like there was a different path. You don't just, you know, you don't have to um, finish high school and then go to college and university and then get a job and start a family because that's not what his dad did, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 So, how so how did you i'd be interested here like because when you separate from a partner and there's a there's a kid in the mix mm-hmm. can be there's a lot of negative emotions and fear as well that comes up um mm-hmm. so you sounds like you managed to make it work so what positives did you take away like what and what advice could you give to anyone that's going through that like how did you manage that well 
you know, candidly, like I was a real, I was a real fucking mess for like a couple of years. And, uh, you know, there's lots of drinking and, and drug use and abuse in that time. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of, I was lost in the wilderness for a while, but, um, I'm all Destin always kept me anchored. He was kind of like my tether. Like I always sort of came back to, um, came back to earth because, you know, then it's Friday and he's coming over and I got to be a dad. So, you know, breakups are horrible, but I would always recommend putting the, the kids first because ultimately if you don't, and you know, we all have friends, coworkers and stuff where the breakup is horrible and lawyers get involved and nobody really wins. You know, no one, there's no winner. The mom doesn't win. The dad doesn't win. The kids certainly don't win. So I guess it would, I would say it takes a certain amount of um, emotional intelligence and evolution to be able to put that aside. But that's what you have to do if you want the best for your kids, really. I mean, parents fight over kids for custody and it's not even really about, um, what's best for the kids it's about beating your partner who you used to love and now you hate yeah and the lawyers are the worst people to go to really because they're not experts in children no no and i can't if we'd gone back i mean it is what it is now but yeah i you know i didn't have a choice but to go to court because i was reacting to being served yeah but i i totally agree because lawyers are not it's not the best way to figure out what the best thing is for your kid. It's not, mm-hmm. the, you know, like it's just not. They have, the they have no the one's place. emotional well-being. Um, they're not interested in that. They're interested in winning and making money. And they always win and they always make money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you're remarried. Yeah. I got I got to say, like, so how's being married to a baker on the weight? Um, thankfully... I, I don't have a sweet tooth. All this weight is from beer. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of beer. <laughs> I brew beer um, with my friend Willis. Um, but yeah, so have, being in a blended family, though, now you are remarried to, um, yeah. to Meadow. Um, yeah. How do you figure that out as a step parent? Like, do you just trip over each other trying to figure it out? Or did you have to get um, in lots of communication? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like, uh, you know, a pillar of Meadow and I's foundation is communication and, and completely honest communication. And, uh, you know, that means sometimes you might have to hurt each other's feelings, but you're always honest with, with each other. And, um, yeah, I mean, we talked about father's day and it was kind of a dark time for me, but like a little ray of sunshine, of course, Chewie said, happy father's day. And, uh, Destin called my boy, but, um, uh, Samara, uh, my eldest stepdaughter, she texted me happy father's day. And she has a lot of, um, unresolved feelings and absenteeism father issues. And so that really meant a lot to me. That really made me smile because I've been able to 
um, when Meadow and I started dating, uh, Samara was 15 or 16. So it was, you know, she, she was a teenager, but I've, I sort of, I know that I've managed to like be there for her when she needed it. And yeah, that gives me a lot of joy. Yeah. So they were pretty accepting of you then right off the, cause that's a tricky age. I would think 15, 16. Um, yeah. And you know, both Meadow and I, um, Meadow was just like me, um, except with two children. But I think when you're single and dating, you're definitely somewhat guarded. You want to sort of protect your kids. You don't want, you know, um, because it's tricky for them as well. Um, So it was a very gradual progression with our relationship and getting to know the kids and then eventually moving in. Samara had moved out already. So she did move back though. Boomerang, boomerang cake. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that's part of, um, um, I think regardless of if you're a father or a stepfather, you can still be a positive influence on kids. And in fact, if you're a stepfather, you can, you don't have that, um, kind of emotional weight to it, but you can still be, um, a positive role model as a male and be like, you know, not all males are jerks or whatever that complicated father relationship, you can still be really supportive and positive and be, you know, um, I think, yeah, being a step parent is tricky, but you can do a lot of good. I don't think it's really, um, it's kind of thankless. You know, it's Father's Day, but why isn't it Father's and Stepfather's Day? Why is it Mother's and Stepmother's Day? Because that's a huge part of our um, modern day society. And it, it's, it's tricky to slip in. Like they're not your, you know, they're not your blood, but you're in this romantic relationship. And so you're, um, you're put into this caregiver role. I think yeah. it probably should be celebrated more. No doubt. Mm-hmm. So what do you, so how does Chewie respond then if you're doing the, cause their dad's like on the scene as such, like not, he's not like, oh, yeah. but he's like, he's in yep. their lives. So how oh, do yeah. they respond when you're, cause you said about Chewie that you're quite strict with her. So mm-hmm. as a step parent, how, how easy was it to, to get into that role with Chewie? Is she accepting of the boundaries and all the rest? Well, of it? yeah, I mean, um, I knew her, I first met her when she was very young. So there was a sort of, you know, it's a, it's a gradient, it's gradual. But now that she's a teenager, there's, uh, there's definitely more conflict. But I, I tell her that I'm only strict with her because I actually care and I yeah. want um, the best for her. It's not yeah. any kind of control thing or anything like that. It's because I want her to do well and I believe in her. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what do you think makes a good dad then? Like, forget the stepdad, dad, like both mm-hmm. together. Like, what makes a good dad? It's a, it's a very tricky question. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought about this for a while, but I think, I mean, first and foremost, fucking be there. Be there. Be involved. Even, even if it's, it's you went through court and it's like horrendously messy and you're a weekend dad, then be the best fucking weekend dad ever. 
don't show up on Saturday morning fucking hungover because you played poker with your buddies until like three or four in the morning. Like, be there, be involved because your impact is huge on kids. Huge. They're sponges. Even in the uh, professional work that I do as a youth outreach counselor, the impact you have on kids is more than you ever imagine. Yeah, you're spot on hmm. with that. I would totally agree with with that. Yeah, and you know, like absent dads um, are just making it harder for present dads to uh, get that representation in family court, and you know. There's like lots of good dads that are just get raked over the coals because of absentee dads. Yeah. And, you know, that's a kind of whole other conversation about traditional gender roles and stuff like that. Those dads that get raked out, you know, get a hard time in the court. I feel like they, it's easy for them then to throw in the towel because they feel defeated or for whatever reason, right? Oh, like they yeah. Can be, and they can be put in. I'm not saying that, um, you know, going through that whole court procedure is easy. It's not, it's hell. I, I have a friend, he goes to court about, uh, with his ex about his kids, like every three or four months, you still, you still got to fight because the kids are worth it. You know? Yeah. And I've definitely, I've been in court more than once. That's for sure. For that reason. (laughs) But yeah, what I would say, though, is as well for those dads, and if there are dads listening that have been given the shaft in court or had a hard time and blah, blah is that there's still a way. I feel like these days with FaceTime, with writing letters, sending postcards, uh, knowing what's going on in their school, knowing what activities they're into and finding ways to connect outside of the physical contact that may be lacking sometimes. There is for sure getting easier and easier now to be able to maintain that presence even if you can't physically be there because i haven't seen my boy now for oh when he gets to canada from the uk due to the covid travel restrictions it's been eight and a half months it'll be almost nine months but i haven't seen him and he's only seven years old yeah that's a lot it's it's a lot it's a lot for him it might be more for him than it is for me some days i wonder but Mm -hmm. i work so hard to be in regular contact every week Mm-hmm. And yeah, just being, you know, sending postcards, sending presents, like, you know, we make sure that he knows what's going on in my life and, yeah. and vice versa. And, and it sounds trite, like the little things, but the little things are really important. Well, actually, my father's day was, and I forget if I sent you a picture of this, but I was on a beach, beautiful oh, weather. Yeah. I was having a cooked <laughs> breakfast that my wife nice. made me. I was on a reclining chair, very comfortable. My little boy, who's two, he drags his chair up, sits next to me with his plate of bacon and bacon and eggs and pancakes. And then my boy in the UK, we haven't seen him for a while, but he's on FaceTime with us. And we're nice. interacting with him. We're playing games with him. He had a he had a card game we were playing. So there's always a way. Like, you know, and that for me was perfect. Mm-hmm. It would have been better if he was here. But for him just to be present in that moment, and it was a shared moment with all of us, was really yes. special. Definitely, so, definitely. So there's always a way. There's always a way. Um, so for you guys, what does quality family time look like? Are you on the motorbikes in the back? Um, a lot of the time, um, you know, Sundays are kind of sacred. So Sundays are family days because it's the only day that um, all three of us have day, the day off. So that's kind of. You're so, um, you're so British. Yeah, I, I usually make a big dinner. 
but I would say, you know, we're together. Like we all, Meadow and I get home from work. Chewie gets home from school and we're together. The girls can be watching a movie together and I'm like um, playing video games or watching YouTube or something, but we're still interacting in the sort of same space. You know, I find like the older and fatter I get, the more lazy I get. But like if Chewie wants to like, um, she's kind of into volleyball now. She's like, let's play some volleyball. Then like I make the effort to like get out there and play some volleyball with her. Yeah. Go on the trampoline with her. Um, yeah. Again, that's sort of tied into what like what we just said. The little things add up into something much bigger. Yeah, for sure they do. It sounds mm-hmm. though, like with the mo- what I love about the motorbiking, which is dirt biking, I guess, like backcountry, is that it sounds like you're all kind of learning. Well, you're teaching, I guess, that they're learning something with you. Yeah. Like that feels mm-hmm. like a really big bonding moment to be out in the backcountry on a motorbike. Yeah, for At sure. At that young um, age too, like she's only 13. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know a cool moment for Chewie was um, – you know, when she was going to Rosemont Elementary, um, uh, I was like, hey, Chewie, do you want me to take you to school on the motorcycle? And she's like, that'd be cool. And it's like, you know, we show up and like pull into the schoolyard on the motorcycle. And yeah, I mean, I love motorcycles and uh, they're horrendous, horrendously dangerous. But um, I think it's like one of the things that we can enjoy together. I think I'm a, uh, you know, I've been a teacher of like sailing and guitar. So I think I have a pretty good uh, manner, like a bedside manner, but a teaching manner. Yeah. You got patience. Um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. And also like I bought an enduro bike that, you know, it is Meadows bike, but I get to use it on the weekends and like rip it up with the boys. So that's pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah, but having said that, you said it yourself, like there is a risk factor with the biking. A little dangerous. Like, do you find that since being a dad, especially now, you want to buy a house? Mm-hmm. You've got a 13 year old living with you who's kind of reliant on you to, you know, various extent. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you wind it in a little bit in terms of how hard you push yourself on the bike or? Mm, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, perhaps I should, but um, I don't know. I've uh, my boy Dustin is um, a certified backcountry guide and snowboarding. Uh, he was on the tribute team uh, before he moved away, and I think you know, with him, it's always um, I've tried to teach him like calculated risk. Right? There's always. Uh, it's the sort of risk and reward thing. So, you know, going to the backcountry and shredding sweet powder is awesome. You just need to take the right precautions so you can lower those risks to uh, a manageable level. And it's the same with motorcycles. Um, driving for the conditions, not getting beyond your skill level. And I think that's the same for snowboarding, motorcycling. I mean, yeah, any of those like adventure sports. Yeah. Um, but I, there's definitely, uh, which I've learned after my father passed, because he was uh, um, in his late teens, early 20s, he was a mountain climber. And so he climbed like uh, Matterhorn Mat, um, and Swiss Alps. 
all those giant mountains. And then, uh, he was a sailor. So would, um, so I think I've learned it's kind of in the DNA to have that little bit of reckless adventure spirit. I feel like it's only Brits that do things like row across the Atlantic. You never often hear of other nations doing daft things like that. I may be wrong. No, I don't think you're, I don't think you're that far off. In terms of like, you've, so three teenagers you've dealt with now. I've dealt, I've yeah. worked with a lot of teenagers, but not in the same household. So mm-hmm. are teenagers really the worst? Because a lot of people stress about the teenage years. Because I wonder, <laughs> are teenagers is it that the bad? worst? The question, the answer is yes, they are the worst, but yeah. uh, you just got to get, get through it together. I mean, you know, um, psychologically and hormonally and emotionally they're just they're just such a fucking mess but they're a beautiful mess you just got to help them through and then like you know you get to like 20 and like the sea's kind of calm and then yeah so what's the trick as a parent then to get to maintain a close connection with your kids when they're teenagers working with teenagers i always found that being a good listener being an active listener for the absolutely 100 100 percent. so um when i work with kids in arc um i often bring my dog frankie and uh we go hiking um sometimes the kids are like i don't want to go outside or something but i'm like oh well you know frankie's a big dog we got a walker so then we're out in nature and we're going for a hike so that right there kind of um breaks down a barrier Usually they're used to like sitting in a cinder block office with fake plants and some clinical psychologists are talking about their feelings. That's not the approach to take. And uh, we just start, we'll just start walking and I'll just sort of ask, not at first, we'll kind of ease into it, but I'll ask sort of leading questions you know, like maybe there was a big blow up at the house a few days ago. So I'll just be like, so, you know, there's a big blow up, uh, you know, what's up with that? Just very light, not probing, um, judging. And, uh, I find that technique like very, very, um, effective. And if just like anyone, I mean, teens aren't alone. If you feel like you're being heard, then you just want to speak more. And, you know, pretty soon kids are just blah, blah, blah. And then I'll call the clinical psychologist a few days later and be like, oh yeah, so this is what's going on. Like, oh my God, you know, I did like three sessions. They didn't say anything. It's like, well, you need to meet the kids where they're at. Yeah. You know, that's really important as well. Like meet, don't, don't make them come to you, meet them where they're at. Right. Um, And yeah, just listen. And without judgment as well. Like listen without judgment, oh, criticism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you just need to provide like a safe space for them so they can speak their truth and um, know that they're being heard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I really enjoy it. Like even now at a young age, like engaging and having conversations. And that's the one thing I'll say, just as a side note, again, to any dads or mums that might be listening that, in some way physically separate from their kids by being on FaceTime, 
you really get to engage. Like there's no escape because you're both on the screen together. And so mm. I, I really hope that I may manage to maintain that as, as, as yeah, my boys reach the, the teenage years, if I can do that. Hopefully, mm. hopefully my work actually in youth, you know, outdoor education and such actually helps that. Like, do you think it's helped you or is that work that you've done more recently? I think my, um, just the, you know, the way I carry myself and, uh, um, I'm pretty good at sort of assessing where a person's at right away. Um, people have always talked to me like, uh, since a very young age, it's kind of like, I, I, I guess I would call it a gift that I'm a good listener where right. people feel that they're being heard. So they tell me things, um, you know, even long before I got into this career path. Right. Um, but it does take, you know, professionally, it takes uh, practice to like hear what they're saying and then kind of, you know, direct it more into the sort of professional realm, like, you know, transitioning to this goal or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So what, in terms of being a parent then, and then this work as well, working with youth, what do you think, you've learned about yourself or what have you changed and what have you changed about yourself? If anything, I don't think I've changed anything about myself, but I've learned to accept uh, my mistakes and um, allowed others to see them and, and share with them because lots of times, you know, kids will be like, um, um, you know, I feel like a misfit, an outcast, you know, I feel different. And it's like, great, you know, that's fine. Just like, accept it. You can be different. Um, you know, I was just like you when I was your age and I, I turned out okay. You know, I'm not perfect. And I admit that. I think that's, you know, I think that's part of getting older. You just admit like what you're good at and what you're not good at. And that's fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of, society today is um just they're so focused on perfection and being amazing it's like you don't have to be amazing you can be like pretty good and it'll be fine you just gotta try <laughs> yeah well with that that's that thought i feel like there's a lot of pressure with social media now on everybody to like you know there's so much fomo like fear of missing out there's so much yeah. like why do they get to go to Mexico on that trip? Or why do these people have a sled? Or why do these people go, you know, whatever, have a bigger house? Like there's so much stuff, so much pressure through social media. Does that in any way show up with any of your kids? Especially oh, yeah, Chewy, because yeah. Chewy's only 13. Like there must yeah. be a lot of pressure that she gets from the online interaction. For sure. I mean, there's Snapchat and Instagram, uh, so many apps and a digital age. And um I think those much like it's been discussed by people well, more well-versed than I, uh, it connects us, but it also, there's a lot of um, separation and disassociation and unrealistic ideals. Like I said, like you have to be perfect. Like, you know, an Instagram model, it's like they're using a filter, like no one's skin looks like that really. So, um, you know, social media is pretty i would you know be on the side of like it does more harm than good but then 
um, you know, you can talk to someone who's miles away and have like um, a sort of face-to-face conversation without being face-to-face and, you know, having all of us gone through COVID, isn't that amazing? I sure yeah. appreciate it. You know, I haven't seen my mom in like a couple of years. Um, wow. Yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, it's again, cliche, but uh, that balance. Yeah. That balance. How do you, when did you introduce like Chewy to say having a phone? Like when did that happen? Mm, until she was about maybe last year or 11 pretty yeah. you know i guess late by today's standards but um that's it that seems reasonable because that then that becomes a point where you're thinking about safety maybe as well like where if there's such a thing as this phone that she can have with her and we need to get hold of her or she misses the bus or whatever yeah for sure again it's um it's hugely advantageous to have chewy has a phone on her she's so she can call and say, Hey, uh, can my friends and I go to Lakeside park now? Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'll pick you up at six. Boom. Yeah. yeah um, easy. but yeah, the social media stuff, um, it's pretty toxic. And so can she, can she access all of those platforms? Is there any way that you've ever put boundaries on the phone? Like you can't use it for, uh, not, not really. I mean, we have taken her phone away. Um, and she is pretty fixated on it uh, when she should be sort of experiencing other things. And then we'll say, no, phone away. Like, you know, we have like no phones at the table rule when we're eating dinner. Um, I think that's a pretty common one. Um, You know, having said that, I don't want to, I'm very resistant to um, falling into that, uh, generational pattern where it's like, oh, you know, like there's no good new music. All the good music happened when I was in my twenties and that kind of thing. And, oh, well, cell phones are evil. They do no good. Well, they're, you know, they're part of life now. So you sort of have to learn and teach how to work with them than against them because they're yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> there's a bit of ages in there where I'm like, I wish, kids of today could somewhat experience um you know what i went through in high school where it was like you talk shit about someone then you're going to meet them after class at like 3 30 at the soccer fields and there's going to be a fight you know like you're that accountability there's a way less of that now and i think that's really bad and you know the online bullying and stuff of course you know when i was a teenager there was no online bullying like you actually got bullied and I think, yeah, the accountability is, uh, I, I think we're falling short on that as well. Where it's like, you can just make any kind of shit comment on a YouTube video or something and nothing's going to happen to you. It's so you true. Know? People get pretty brave online. For sure. For sure. And then, you know, back in my day, you said something like that, you're going to get a punch in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, for sure. It's so true. So, how do you measure your success as a parent? I would say my success as a parent has been uh, me being completely honest with my kid and my stepkids as well, that um, I'm not a perfect being and I'm not a perfect parent and I will make mistakes and I have made mistakes 
maybe some of my mistakes I can tell you about and you won't make the same ones that I have. And there, it takes a certain amount of um, humility and self-awareness to uh, accept that about yourself and pass that along to your kids so they don't make the same mistakes as well. Um, and it's something I notice with a lot of parents where they're, you know, they keep secrets and they're just not, they have a sort of um, illusion, much like my parents had, like everything's fine, the marriage is great. And then once I got, you know, once I became a little more self-aware and aware of what's going on, I'm like, no, your marriage sucks. Like you don't even like each other. You're going to divorce. You should probably do it sooner rather than later. So, yeah, I, I think I've been able to raise my son and my stepdaughters by just being um, honest with myself and with them. Yeah, I like that transparency. That's really good. Like I said, I think it takes a lot of self-awareness and humility to admit to yourself and to your children, hey, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Like if I made yeah. a mistake that hurts you, let's work work on it together totally. or if i've made a mistake previously that you can learn from so you don't make that mistake when you get to my age then great you know yeah um for instance i mean you know i'm trying to buy a house now at 50 and i've been uh telling destin for years man have good credit like get a credit card use it they don't teach you this stuff in school have a good credit rating because uh did yeah, you we ever so I agree I wasn't ever taught that stuff at school it's such a hugely important life skill money management is something I want to teach both my boys from an early age definitely yeah we had it last year actually what happened he had a bunch of birthday money and we're driving into Nelson from being out on the lake or somewhere and so he's got about 120 dollars in cash mm -hmm. something like that and we're driving into town and he says dad can we go to Walmart because I want to mm -hmm. go buy some toys. I've got my money. And yeah. you would think, okay, do whatever you want with your money. It's your money. But he's seven years old. He's pretty young. And I just had this conversation with him. I said, look, we can do that if you want. But if we do that, that money's gone. You're going to get bored of the toy within a day. I know what you're like, because something else will be more interesting. And actually, you'll want to go to the skate park and not play with this toy. So then what happens? So we had that conversation. He still wants to go. We then walk into Sacred Ride, the bike shop, and yeah. he looks and he's like, Dad, I really want a full face helmet. It was yeah. just like he doesn't really need it. But for the, some of the trails, he feels like he needs it. And he sees mm -hmm. the bigger kids wearing these full face helmets. Yeah. So, he, you know, he kind of wants one. Yeah. And I turned to him and said, hey, look, he's like, I'm like that. That helmet there is 140 bucks. So that $120 now that we didn't use in Walmart, if you really want that helmet, you got to use your own money. I'll put in 20 bucks if you want, mm -hmm. if you really want it. You can, can do some chores and make it up. But what do you want to do? You want to go to Walmart and buy some crappy toys or do you want to use your money to buy the helmet you really want? And so he bought the helmet. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a really good moment to be, to, you know, to spend your money wisely. You know, don't just mm -hmm. throw it around on crappy toys and shit that you don't need. But yeah. like actually something that's going to last for a number of years. It's something you're passionate about, which is biking. And yeah, it was just, it was a small lesson. I just thought I really want to do more of that with him. Yeah. Even Not like, um, like uh, shopping for groceries and like with some of my clients um, will have to, I'll have to teach them like, 
what's the better deal at the grocery store, you know, two for $20 or like one for 17. It's like, okay, how many grams of cheese are you getting for that amount of money? That kind of stuff, you know, grocery store math. And it's just not taught here. So, so what's uh, like, is any high point as a dad for you that stands out? Uh, Recently or historically? Just what would first come to mind if I said that? Um, well, my boy getting accepted to university, like I never went to university. Um, my sister did, and she's a very successful professional. Um, but yeah, he, uh, throughout COVID, he was doing like online upgrading and, uh, it was, you know, you have to be pretty disciplined to do like six hours of school every day online from home. Um, but yeah, he did it and he got accepted and He'll be hopefully, you know, fingers crossed on campus in September. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. He's going to the post-secondary and he's kind of figuring it out. Um, yeah. He just has the kind of like self-awareness. Like, like I said, he's, um, you know, he's a ski guide and stuff, but um, lots of my friends are too, but he was like that, that, like, I don't want to sound douchey or anything, but like, I don't want to be in my forties, like being a ski guide in the winter and like mowing lawns in the summer to get by, like I need a career. And this is something you said at 19. I'm like, wow, good for yeah. you, buddy. Like <laughs> you're winning as a dad at that point. <laughs> well, yeah, it took me till like 42 care or kind of realize that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Same. But maybe it's just different because you're different cycle of parenting. You know, we were raised a little differently, um, you know, by dads that were raised by war dads. Mm-hmm. And so we've Definitely. sort of, you know, we're setting our kids up on a slightly different path, maybe because of that. Yeah. Like I said before, I think um, I think I'm proud and his mom's proud that like we uh, managed to put our like emotions to the side and put Destin first and foremost. And he's benefited from having both parents in his life because of it, you know? Yeah, no um, doubt. Neither of us moved away. Um, you know, when I finished uh, music school, most of my friends were like going to Vancouver and like a lot of them are like semi-successful musicians and or very successful musicians. Uh, I just, I, I said no, like I decided consciously not to do that because i wouldn't be around him and there would be that separation i mean it's only eight hours but it could might as well be 800 miles you know Um, after a couple of hours it doesn't matter i don't think i mean yeah you're a long way away michelle and i feel uh grateful that we were able to work that out because uh yeah that's a um that's not a usual thing um and uh yeah we managed to make it work for the benefit of uh our son and even now you know he's in montreal and i'm here in nelson uh we still have a really close relationship we still talk at least once a week um or text you know um a few times a week so yeah there's that connection yeah yeah that's awesome and does he get on with the girls is he, is yeah, he for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, he and Samara, um, well, okay. I'll tell you a, a funny parenting story. 
um, Samara, our eldest stepdaughter, uh, a year and a half older than Destin. So uh, when they were in high school, they would go to the same parties. So when Destin was in grade 10, I um, sat him down and I'm like, okay, son, like, you know, you're starting to meet the ladies. You're caring about your looks. I want to give you these condoms because, you know, if something happens, you know, you're making the moves, it's going somewhere. Got to wear a condom. And he's, he, he, he was like, kind of like shocked at first. He was like, Oh, dad, like, uh, I, uh, I don't <laughs> need these right now. I'm like, no, that's cool. Like you don't need them now. Maybe in a month, if you, you know, if you want me to buy more, just let me know. Like, I don't want it to be anything weird. It's just, uh, you know, I want you to be safe and I'm certainly not ready to become a grandfather. Like that ain't fucking happening, bro. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, dad, cool. So, um, uh, then, uh, Samara was living with us at the time and they both ended up the same party. Uh, Samara came home the next day and, uh, she was like, yeah, so we were at that party last night and I saw Destin and all his friends and they were like kind of huddled in a circle. And I was like, oh, maybe I like, got some pot or something. So I like went over and looked and it was like, no, Destin had condoms. And he was like, yeah, my dad gave me these. <laughs> <laughs> maybe two or three days later, I saw his mom, Michelle, on the street. and She was like, Nelson, Destin said that you gave him condoms. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I think. My dad never had that conversation with me. And I, I think it's about time we had that conversation and just talk about it. Like, don't make it weird. It happens. We've all done it. Like he needs condoms. She's like, well, I, I just, I don't know how I feel about that. How was I? I'm like, well, Michelle, are you ready to become a grandmother? And she was like, fuck no. <laughs> and then she's on Baker street. Like, and she's, you said it loud enough. Like people kind of stopped and turned. I'm like, well, there you have your answer then. Yeah, there you go. You're not ready to become a grandma. <laughs> I'm not ready to become a grandpa. So, yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. parenting. Good parenting. You just well, got to be open about that stuff though, haven't you, at this point? Honesty. Just you got to be honest. Yeah. It's only Ooh. weird if you make it weird. And how old was like, he then when he... Uh, so he would be like grade 10. So... Uh, 14-ish. 14, 15. Yeah. 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 Yeah teenage sex it's like yeah it happens so more and more can't we all just be kind of adults about it yeah that was a good approach so you've said i mean you shared so much and so much wisdom but what advice would you if you just what a piece of advice you would have for an expectant father right now or even if it was you and you could whisper into your ear before you had your first child um i think there's a tendency to freak out and be uh overly cautious and think too much and um, yeah, be dramatic. I think the thing you just have to remember is that humans have been doing this for a millennia and um, moms and dads have inherent abilities that are kind of locked in our DNA. So just uh, don't sweat it. It's going to work out fine, but also realize that you have, uh, you, you can choose your own destiny, you know, as a father, it's very easy after a, a breakup with the mom of your child to just, uh, peace out and you can do that, or you can choose to be a part of the kid's life and like 
make a difference and experience the immense joy and sometimes heartache and realism of being a parent because being a parent is such a fantastic journey it's been for me it's been amazing and it continues to be amazing um both with my son and my uh stepdaughters it's uh it's pretty fantastic but like anything you get out what you put in so if you're not if you're wondering why it's so shitty maybe you should ask yourself what you're putting into it that's a good point yeah i like that that's great really appreciate you sharing today and uh jumping on the podcast here for a little podcast adventure (laughs) yeah thanks so much man thanks for asking me yeah no worries so we'll have to we'll have to uh to connect again and chat more i I would uh love a part two just let me know yeah man all right all right yeah we'll see you soon okay take care and now for a check-in with my favorite clinical social worker Catherine williams so Catherine, welcome back nice to see you again and Thank you for jumping in on the podcast. So I got a question that I think relates to many of the conversations that I've been having with various dads and it's relationships. Um, Relationships, having a kid can have a huge strain on any relationship. I think Mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest challenges of having a kid is trying to maintain a healthy relationship with your partner. Again, if that's the dynamic that you're in as a family, and I know that's not for everybody, but when that is the case and it does put a strain on the relationship, how important is it for our kids? Certainly maybe not as an infant, but as they're getting, becoming toddlers and to an older age, um, how important is it for them to see us maintaining a healthy relationship with our partner? Um, are they going to model what they see or do we Absolutely. sometimes overemphasize the impact that that has? No, I, it's absolutely accurate that um, children, children are little sponges. They emulate parents, they internalize, um, you know, values and actions uh, of parents for sure. Um, yeah, you know, we, we talked about attachment in a, in a different podcast, so I, I won't, I won't go into that, but um, in order for a child um, to feel to feel secure in their relationship with their parents, they also need to see the parents having um, a, a good enough pattern of relationship where there is uh, kind, kind and gentle words, and or or when they have different ideas, because all human beings do, that they're able to um, they see the parents being able to to work through when they have different ideas. And so um, it's wonderful for children to have the opportunity to see their parents having different ideas about things, but ideally they're um, finding ways to get to work, to work it through and that the children get to experience that. So sometimes when I work, when I work with families where they talk about children um, being really angry or not, not knowing how to express themselves when they don't like what's happening in the family or, or during play dates or with their siblings, I actually say to parents, you know, can you, can you just kind of, um, can you fake it? Like, can you, can you role model different ideas or when things don't go well? Um, so that, that you can actually role play work, you know, working out some sort of a solution. 
and being calm and regulated, or, you know, being able to say, oh, I'm so angry about that. You told me that we were going to be able to go out on Friday and I canceled, a, you know, my bike ride with my friends in order to do that. And, and then for the parents to actually um, to be able to talk about it. So then the other partner saying, you're right, I, I did. I did say that we were going to do that. And I'm so sorry, you know, and can we can we try it again for Saturday instead? And, you know, that there's some kind of a, a, a resolution for kids to see. Yeah, whereas if a, if a child is exposed to parents that are not able to to work things out without without yelling or using harsh words and criticism and judgment, or they they walk out of the room just in fight or flight response all the time and as a pattern, it's very frightening for children, first of all. Right. Um, but also it's teaching children that, you know, big feelings are to to be avoided or are are not, it's not safe. And that's not all feelings are okay. It's what we do with our feelings that matter. So we want children to right. learn that from a really young age. Huh. You know, that's, um, yeah. I just, my thought was like, yeah, your sometimes your initial thought is to, when you have, you know that you have a disagreement is to wait until the kid's not around. But yet that, what that means is there's going to be tension in the air. And they could, they're likely going to feel that tension as opposed to, see the you know the the right language coming out and things like that that's a lot of personal growth for us as adults too yeah isn't it yes yeah and i do yeah. think that's a big part of parenting actually for me anyway yeah working through that yeah so if you're talking about you know parents who um as a general pattern don't don't talk about anything in front of the kids but yeah like with tension there um where there's enough tension that it's actually impacting what's happening in the energetic field with the family, kids internalize that too. There's going to be a lot of confusion with it, but they're also making sense of this is how this goes. So daddy comes home, um, supper's been ready for an hour, but he and mommy, um, you know, they're, they don't, they're not greeting one another. They're, they're talking you know, more robotic, like, um, kid, kids are making up meanings about, about that too, that this is, this is how it goes when, so mommy's not happy, but they don't talk about it like that. That's right. That's what's being role modeled. Ah, yeah. 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 I've been about stuff that you're angry about. What I find now is more, I can just think of a couple of times recently and no, we're not talking about big arguments and, and things like that, but just when there's, I don't know, a disagreement about what camping site you were going to go to. So you're feeling frustrated with each other because you, neither of you drunk in water, it's 35 degrees and this hasn't <laughs> happened. I'm just trying to make up a little scenario. Um, yeah. But it's something like that now where a couple of times I've maybe gone and taken space and like, well, we're not getting anywhere. We're both a bit hangry. It's been a long week. Yeah. Take space, <laughs> but then come in when you kind of feel like even after 10 minutes, have a cup of tea, go outside, water the plants, come back in. And now you just had time to just calm down a little bit and just that frustration kind of aired out and now yeah. communicate really clearly and, you know, maybe even say sorry in front of the little one so that they yeah. can see this kind of much as opposed to like in the moment when you feel that frustration, it's really hard to yeah. find the right language. Sometimes you kind of like, well, can you just yeah. use that tone? And what I've noticed with Indy, he's two. Yeah. Even if I change my tone and we're not, even if I'm, it could be either of us maybe excited about 
even like excited, just excited about something that happened today. And I'm expressing it and my voice is a little bit louder and like, yeah, da, da, da. he doesn't like it because mm-hmm. he's not used to it. It's not the sort of usual calm, mellow tone. And yeah. so even when it's not an argument, he might still, he can misinterpret that. So sometimes yeah. we've got better, but we have to be really calm around. So I think it's really helpful if parents narrate a little bit um, when things do calm down. So let's use that example, you know, about um, there being tension around trying to get things set up and choose a campsite, right? Because that's a pretty natural kind of thing to happen in families, yeah. especially if everybody's hangry and it's late and you're under pressure and no, I want this site. No, I want this site. Um, so then once it's, once things have shifted and you've got things done, it's really, it's a great opportunity to say, oh, that feels better. You know, we, we were all hungry and, and we wanted to get the tent set up and, but, you know, we, we, we figured it out, we've got a solution and that doesn't that feel better now in the, you know, you guys, you know, are, are toasting one another with your cup of tea and yeah, we, you know, good job. We got it done. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, we were we were rushing, or it all worked out in the end. But just to say to narrate so that Indy is understanding, right? That's what that was, and it's okay, and it's shifted. Yeah, yeah, so that's a really good point. And when I do, when I do that in the past, sometimes I kind of I kind of have fun with it. It almost becomes a play, and I pull you know I pull faces, my like my frustrated face, and then I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like grab the water bottle. I'm like, hey, and I kind of like make a bit of a play. He's only two. I wouldn't yes. do that with a seven, eight year old, but, but yeah, I think that's a really good point is so that they really understand. And also when I come back in the room sometimes, and I'm not as come making out that I'm storming off all the time. It's not the case, yeah. but, but this conversation, I'm trying to think of a way a couple of times I'll very, very overtly kind of give Sage, you know, a big hug and a kiss. And we'll, we'll do yeah. that with each other in front of him yeah. quite often. And the cute yeah. thing is what he does now, he'll, he'll hold his hands out. Cause he uh-huh. doesn't like that. Cause he's not involved. So he's like yeah. mummy. And with one hand, he's pulling <laughs> mummy in. And with the other hand, he's pulling daddy in. And then all three of us will have a big hug, but we're family really hug. building that. Yeah. Family hug. And we really build that sort of like that affection. And the same yeah. when Seth is here too, we're sort of quite cuddly on the couch and everything. But yeah, very much so they can see that. And I think I think so when he point. when he did that, like the family hug gesture, yeah. had there been some a bit of tension? Oh, good question. Uh no, I think not it's necessarily just, no, no, sorry, no, he just wants not to be left. He never wants to be left out. Okay. But, yeah, so like me saying, too. <laughs> totally. And if mommy goes and hugs, it's not enough. He has to have me go over there too. So he's right. like, he just wants to, yeah. Yeah. I okay. It. I thought maybe that you were saying that. If there had been a bit of tension, um, that he, that he's saying, are, are we all good? Like, is everybody okay? Are you guys okay? <laughs> which well, which also I could be okay. Maybe, yeah, and I wonder if that'll happen. Actually, I'll watch out for that now. But fortunately, we don't have many of those issues, so it doesn't. He doesn't have to play that role. Right. But but, um, but for families where that does happen, it, it's okay for parents to say to the child, "Yeah, um, yeah, mommy and daddy, or daddy and daddy, or mommy and mommy, where you know." your parents are having different ideas and it's going to be okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to work it out. We have different ideas right now. And you might roll your eyes and yeah, like sigh. And, but, but communicating that this is not, this, this is not an emergency situation. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's great. Build the narrative in. Um, so last, last little questions on, on this topic of, you know, nurturing our relationships in front of the kids. Mm-hmm. I, we went to, a, this is quite a while ago before we had kids. Um, and because we had the, be, the 
extended healthcare and everything, we went to a counselor because we thought, well, let's yeah. go to a counselor. And it's always, I think it's a healthy thing to do as adults, yeah. you know, when none of us are perfect, we're just trying to figure, figure the, this messy life out. And yes. what was interesting was that the counselor was saying that the most important thing in a family is actually the relationship between the parents, um, mm-hmm. that that should be the focal point instead of putting everything onto the kids and focusing around the kids. And when the kids are young, certain needs need to be taken care of at 100%. When they're two, when yeah. they're three, when they these little people. Yeah. But yeah, parents' need versus the children's needs. I mean, we, we always yeah. have balance these days. But is the parent, like, is that relationship, like, we want to focus on that as being the core? Yeah, well, um, in in my mind, they're, they're, they, they parallel the, in terms of uh, priority and import, importance. And yes, there are different times in development where one will kind of be out in front of the other for a period of time, but ideally they're, 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 they're paralleling. So, you know, when there's, um, when there's an infant and, um, you know, it might not be realistic in the early really early months for parents to be going out to dinner uh, for, th- for three hours, it might be that um, you, you take the time to have a, a, a tea or, you know, light a candle on the floor in front of the fireplace for 20 minutes, but, but still cultivating, you know, the, the um, emotional and physical intimacy in, in the adult relationship, the, um, the parental subsystem. So there's different systems within the family system and the parental subsystem, if you if you want to see it as that, uh, it is so important to continue to, to nurture that all the way through for everyone. So I wouldn't say at the expense of, right? It's, you know, when you fly in a plane and they say, yeah. put your own oxygen mask on first before you tend to yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, you know, should be like a basic um basic I hope functioning level for for parents ideally you know parents are um, close to thriving or at times thriving uh, at that stage but you know I just I wanted to acknowledge that um, because you said something a while ago and the the thought flashed across my mind like it is it's really intense right having a family and um, it's important that parents are supported to um grieve the different changes in the developmental stages of of family so going from being a couple with lots of spontaneity and it's really just all about them to then when you have a child it's a wonderful thing it's joyful but but there is there is a loss there as well like you'll never be the same again not you're never going to be just a couple again and so the same thing can happen after um, there's one child and then there's a second child in the family that um, there's a, a grieving again that that really um, is healthy to have happen and to be able to acknowledge because that the family will never be the same again. So I think part of that comes out of the relationship with with parents um, to be able to talk about those things and to acknowledge what the individual needs are of of um, each person. And you yeah. know, sometimes I work with families where the each individual parent is they're supporting one another to take care of their individual needs but kind of um are lacking a little bit of creativity i guess in still focusing on the couple the yeah. couple couple that's such a good point i was thinking that last night camping actually it was not yeah just acknowledging like on my own i was having my own little moment and i was just kind of walking down a trail india just gone to bed sage is reading a book by the fire and i was just like 
it was so good to be in nature and it was so good to yeah. be camping. And we both acknowledge this, that this year we want to do a lot more of that and get, cause now yes. he's a bit more robust. We can do that because yeah. you do give up so much of yourself in the first couple of years and it's, yeah. and then you realize, wow, we have not hung out with each other. So what we do is we take turns when we're at home in the, with Indy in the stroller. So he sleeps and then we're doing our chores and we're working and doing everything else. The other day we went camping last week in Caslo. And we actually ended up walking together for three hours while he slept in the stroller. Oh, nice. We're going to trade off. And we were like, actually, this is really nice. Let's sneak an <laughs> ice cream because he can't see us because he's <laughs> don't give him sugar. So we're eating ice creams and drinking coffee and walking around Caslow. And it was like, this is so nice and calming and it just wonderful. Together, right. It's just a simple yeah. thing. But. See, yeah. that's being creative. That's the creativity I'm talking about. It, it that was sounds very much like a date. You know, he's would, sleeping and you oh, were totally. Yeah. yeah. We just happened to be pushing a stroller, but he's asleep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it no, sounds like it worked well for both of you. It really did. It's yeah. so nice that we get that time. Um, yeah. hey, I know that um, yeah, we're coming to the end here. So yeah. oh no, it, that was a bad edit. Um, I'll edit that, <laughs> I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> two, two minutes two minutes to get this right um okay. but hey Catherine as ever thank you so much you have so, uh, such a wealth of information to share and I'm really glad that other parents can be listening in and and getting you know picking up some of these tips and tricks from you as well I hope it's helpful thank That's you for great. having me well we'll see you next time that was great see you next time blue thanks for listening and if you enjoyed the show please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders, and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show, and we'll see you next time.